There was excitement in the air as dusk fell on the square in Ottawa. It was July 1st, which is Canada Day in the capital city. This was the most memorable fireworks show of my life. The fireworks were amazing. They felt huge. They were right overhead as we laid on the blanket, looking up. But I wasn't prepared for what happened next. When the show ended after dark, the crowd of over 50,000 people, which had slowly grown over the day. But the moment, the moment the show ended, everyone in mass turned to leave at the same exact time. It was instant chaos. There were no exits. There were no lighting. There were no guards showing us which way to go. Suddenly, everyone pressed against you. You could feel the surge of the crowd as everyone was trying to go in different directions towards the exits. I was short back then, only 11 years old. My head was stuck between people's waists and their armpits, the smelliest place to be after a long day. Not to mention, I couldn't see anything. I was so little, all I could see was the adults towering above me and the dark sky above. I couldn't even hear my own voice as I cried out for help. We quickly all grabbed hands and tried to hold on. With fear of being separated in a place where none of us knew anyone, in the days before cell phones, we were, suddenly we were all petrified. We could get lost. We were, people were pushing us from every side and trying to cut us off as they tried to cut between us as we tried to hold hands. And I had this fear of what if I couldn't follow the hand in front of me? What if I couldn't follow? Following is hard. All of us have had moments in our life where we've been lost or felt the pressure of the crowd. It's easy to get tripped up, to fall, to make mistakes or to get separated, to feel alone. We all make mistakes from time to time. Some of them are innocent mistakes, but sometimes the fall has much bigger consequences. In my situation, I felt powerless. I felt overwhelmed. I felt afraid. Maybe you've been there. You've been lost or separated or alone. You see, sometimes our choices or the choices that others do to us leave a huge mark in our lives. And we realize that following isn't always easy. But the good news is that even if we do get lost, or even if you do feel alone this morning, or hurt, or broken by the hard things in life, God still has a way of finding us and calling us back. You see, following Jesus is what we are called to do as followers of Him. And following is hard, and, and we all struggle with hard things. You see, all too often, we know that we make mistakes, which is why we as parents or leaders make excuses. We have a saying here in America. You know it. Finish this sentence for me. Do as I say, not as I do. Right? However, this is not a biblical message. For Jesus, the saying and the doing are one and the same thing. And this should be the model for us as Christians. And so today, I want us to, to look at the words of Jesus and what he meant when he says, follow me.
Now, I want to set a little bit of context for where we're going to dig in this morning. You see, the first words of Jesus to Peter and to his disciples were simple. They were, follow me. And they did. They gave up everything. But that was at the beginning before things got complicated by life, by disappointment and fear and denial and ultimately death. You see, life has a way of making things complicated. Following is hard. And so to set the stage for this morning's passage, I I want us to look at this. After Jesus' death, the disillusioned disciples go back to the only thing that makes sense. They go back to the beginning. They go back to fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And it is here that we pick up the story in John chapter 21. In a story reminiscent of the very first time that they met, Jesus walks up and asks the fishermen if they've caught any fish. And they say no. And then Jesus tells them to throw their nets on the other side. And there's this miraculous catch of fish that is hauled in. And, and, and then they immediately recognize Jesus and they, and they come rushing to shore and they come and they eat with him. And it's here that we pick up the story in verse 15. It says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. A third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved who was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. And he said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, What is that to you? You must follow me. Now, in our current sermon series, we are looking at our core values that unite us. And today we are looking at following Jesus. And in this passage, we learn three things about following. And so the first one is this, that following moves us past failure. Following moves us past failure. All four Gospels record Peter's denial of Jesus. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, sometimes called the Synoptic Gospels, record how Peter wept bitterly after the rooster crowed. But John's Gospel is unique in describing the restoration scene between Jesus and Peter. Three times Peter denied Jesus, even calling down curses. And then three times Jesus asks him if he loves him. Why? Is Jesus being a jerk? Why would you kick someone while they're down? 
Why would you bring up the most embarrassing, painful moment for Peter? Because you can't heal what you can't face. And Jesus wanted to heal and forgive Peter. And the number three in biblical times is a Trinitarian number, meaning completeness. And so the, although there was a complete denial, it's followed by complete redemption and pure and complete love. You see, there's this forgiveness and restoration that, it, that is more than saying, I'm sorry. My daughter, Catherine, is at this stage where she, she loves to, you know, as soon as she gets caught doing something she shouldn't do, she'll quickly say, sorry, sorry. And then she quickly tries to run off and go back to doing what she was doing, right? She doesn't really know what she's doing. It's just sorry is this get out of jail free card, right? We do the same exact thing. We love to say sorry and then quickly move on. But restorative justice means making amends and making things right. And this is what Jesus does here. You know, he wants to not just have Peter say sorry, he wants to heal Peter. He wants to restore him. And there's something that's interesting about this passage that I've never seen before. That as I was studying, I learned something new. And it, it's in John, this passage that we just read, where Jesus reinstates Peter. And, and I've often thought of this as a private conversation where just Jesus and Peter are talking. You know, it's just me confessing my sins to God. But there's no disconnect in this passage from them eating together and the following verses. In fact, there's this famous painting by Raphael that shows some of what um, scholars believe to be happening in this passage. Here, look at this picture. And it shows Jesus talking to Peter, but all of the disciples right there with them, right? And it's more likely that Jesus was saying this in front of everyone, which means it would have been even more painful for Peter, for Jesus to bring it all up in front of everyone, right? But it's also even more restorative for everyone to witness what Jesus did next. It was Jesus completely healing Peter. And it was this public reinstatement for everyone to see that Jesus was calling Peter back into public ministry. Jesus wants to go to every point of our failure and brokenness in your life and my life so that he can redeem it, forgive it, and set us free. Failure means moving, or following means moving beyond our failure. But there's a second thing that I want us to see here is that following means feeding. Jesus says, feed my sheep. You see, for Jesus to follow is to love who he loves and to do as he does. You see, each time Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he then tells him to do something. And there's slight variations that one is feed my lambs, one of them is take care of my sheep, and the last one is feed my sheep. But all three times he is basically saying the same thing. Jesus is referring to himself as the good shepherd. 
and the sheep are his followers. And, and so when he tells Peter that to follow is to feed, he is really giving him a purpose. He's giving him a ministry. He's giving him a calling. And he's saying, we have been called with a purpose. And that purpose is to do what Jesus does. I ran across this quote recently. It says that if our Christianity doesn't result in greater compassion for our fellow human beings, then we have deeply misunderstood Jesus. And I like that. I mean, it's kind of direct and it's kind of challenging, but it just hits me here that like we are called to do what Jesus does. And it also means that, it, that at times we may have to take up unpopular opinions in order to protect justice and truth and to fight for the vulnerable, you know? But, but to, we are called to be in the world who Jesus would be if he were you or if he were me. Like to be Jesus with skin on, to be his hands and his feet. And it starts by loving the person in front of me. And it starts with, with having compassion. And, and I don't think it's an accident that Jesus is using the sheep metaphor to remind us of his unrelenting love to leave the 99 and to go and to find that one. That is our purpose. That is our calling. And that's what he's saying to Peter right here in this passage, to follow is to feed. That is our purpose and that is our calling. The third thing that I want us to see in this passage is that following provides focus. You see, sometimes when, when following is hard or when the calling is hard, we start to like look around and look at other people and, and we start like secretly trying to see, you know, is it worth it, right? And that's exactly what Peter does in this passage. When, when Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? You know, and Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus' response was, what is that to you? Like he's basically saying, stop comparing. Comparison kills. You see, the first and last words of Jesus to Peter are follow me. He, it's just this simple call to follow me. Don't be looking around at everyone else. You know, have you ever met someone who is completely overwhelmed by a situation? Maybe you've been there. Where, where the, this other person, they, they so want to do what is right, but they're caught up in their own head and, and they, they don't even know what to do. Maybe, maybe you've even heard them say, or maybe you've heard yourself say, just tell me what to do. And, and that's exactly what, what Jesus is saying when he says, follow me. He's cutting through all the noise. He's cutting through all the stuff where we get trapped in our own head. And, and he's trying to help us. He's trying to say, stop comparing, to give us focus and to make it easier for following. When we get caught up in our own way, we get stuck in our own minds and, and we get caught up in our own cycles of self-destruction. And, and Jesus is saying, just, just follow me and I will show you the way. See, Jesus isn't promising that life is going to be easy. In fact, in, in Mark 8, 34, Jesus says this, 
Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You see, taking up the cross isn't easy. But he is saying that, that it is the way to life. The way of the cross is the way to life. What is the cross? And what does it represent? Some have called it the scandal of the cross because the cross is about forgiveness and grace and it comes at great cost to Jesus. But, but it's the way to life is through death. Christ died for us so that we might live. He offers us forgiveness and grace and love. And just as Christ has forgiven us, he is calling us to do the same. And that means death. That means letting go of our failures and our faults, just like Peter did. All the ways in which we exclude ourselves and oh, not me, God, you couldn't use me. God, you could never understand all the things that I've been through, all the mistakes that I've made. God's saying, let go of that. It means letting go of the hurt that we might heal. Letting go of the trauma that, that we might be transformed. Letting go of our dreams that we might reach our destiny. It's this growth mindset that says that failure is a part of learning, right? That it's, this, that it's true in recovery, it's true in parenting, and it's true in education. In fact, it's part of the philosophy that we use here at our awesome school, Altaloma Christian School. I love it. It's this growth mindset that says that, that failure is a part of learning, and it's true in life. You haven't failed, you've just learned. And learning is a part of growth. And, and it's the part, and it's the power of the cross. And it, it's this idea that, that if we just give, give it all to Jesus, that God can use it and transform it for something more powerful. Because the power of the cross is that it gives us a way to move beyond the tit-for-tat, black-and-white thinking and to move towards redemption. Because redemption is this idea that God has something for you, no matter what you have been through, no matter how many times you have denied him in the past, just like Peter. No matter how many times that you have gotten lost or pushed around by the crowd, today is the day of redemption. And God doesn't want comparison for you. Just like Peter, stop comparing yourself to others. God wants to set you free from that today. You know, I love being one of your pastors because I get to hear all of your stories. I get to see your gifts. God has given so many of you amazing gifts. I mean, I'm amazed. I just sit back and I mean, some of you build rockets. Some of you write books. Some of you disciple the next generation as teachers, parents, and grandparents. Some of you have amazing voices and can sing or play amazing instruments. So many amazing gifts. But if I spend all of my time wishing that I was you, I miss out on who God has made me. And that's true for all of us. All of us need to stop comparing ourselves to others and just begin to follow him. 
and that God will then give us a purpose and a calling. You see, God has a purpose for all of us, and he has a purpose for you. And you may not know it yet, but it's true. You know, recently I was talking to a friend of mine who was telling me about a book on the happiest people in retirement. And it talks about the, the difference between people who are happy and those who aren't. And it breaks things down and, and looks at a couple of different things. But part of the secret is that the most unhappy people in retirement are the people who don't have a calling or a community. And God wants both for you. This is true at any stage of life, that God wants to give you a calling and a community. It's true from middle school to grad school. It's true from middle age to, well, I forget what the word is here. Let's just call it the glory years, right? All of us are called to follow Jesus and to make a difference in the world. And, and what if, what if that's you and I? What if that's our church? What if we became known as a people or a group of people who follow Jesus and that we would begin to move from judgment to forgiveness? Like that we would be a place of forgiveness and healing for, for the most broken and vulnerable people, that they would come to, to solid ground and they would find a place where they could be a part of something. That our recovery groups, our life groups, and our Bible studies would become places of healing and hope. And that we would move from, that we would be a people of com compassion and blessing. That we would move away from comparison to blessing. That, that would allow us to, to celebrate our differences and affirm that God makes people unique that we would stop asking elephants to climb trees like a monkey or for a bird to swim underwater. God has made creation unique and he's made you unique. And so let's be uniquely who God has made us to be and identify as children made in his image. And that then we would begin to move from selfishness to service helping others to encounter the transformation that Peter experienced. You see, as I close, I wanna, I wanna challenge us that, that this is the kind of community that our world desperately needs. A group of people who are just sold out on following Jesus and whatever that looks like, wherever you find yourselves, just go and be Jesus there. Now remember that this isn't easy, but it's also not meant to be a heavy burden, a heavy yoke that just weighs us down. You see, Jesus shared this story all of this is right after the abundant catch of fish, right after a big fellowship meal. That happens in verses 5 to 14, right? And Jesus wants to fill you up before he sends you out. And then we don't have to do this in our own power, our own strength. God gives us the Holy Spirit to carry us and to send us forth. It's in his grace and in his strength. As I close, I want to share a quick story I was thinking about this week. Um, many of you know Lazaro and his family. 
that go to our church. Now, now Lazaro moved his young family here to this country to help get his wife treatment for her cancer. And he writes in his book, Until the Last Breath, what that journey was like of walking his wife home into eternity. You see, things didn't get easier for his family. And they struggled, and, and for them to try and get their citizenship and to find a job and the heartbreak and the brokenness. And it was, it was difficult in that season. In fact, many of you in this church were a support to them during this hard season. But when we follow Jesus, God is a way of using even the hardships for his glory. You know, it didn't click for me initially, but Lazaro's name in Spanish is literally Lazarus. And today, Lazaro is pastoring a small church in a rough part of San Bernardino, reaching out to people who are homeless and on the streets and on drugs and in some of the hardest situations. And it is, it is exactly here that God is using the power of Lazaro's testimony to bring life from death, to redeem the hard times, to leave the 99 and to go and to find that one. Pastor Mike and I had a chance to just sit down with Lazaro this week and to pray with him and just to continue to encourage him because he's on the front lines. He is doing it. He is out there following Jesus and feeding the sheep. And I just want to say thank you guys for being a part of this story. And today, let's look at our own lives for how God could use each one of us. Each, use our brokenness, use our hurt, use our failures, use all of it like Peter for his kingdom glory. Because God wants to do something real and powerful in us and in our world, if we will just allow him as we follow him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word to us today. God, I pray that you would do something real and powerful in our lives today as we simply just stop the comparison and cut out all of the noise and we just simply slow down and follow you. God, show us what it means to take simple steps of obedience, to let go of failure, to let go of comparison, and to embrace our purpose as we feed your sheep and we seek the one that you have called us to minister to this week. And God, maybe, maybe that's us this morning. Maybe we need to start by being filled up and refreshed this morning. And so God, we receive whatever it is that we need to hear from you today. God, I pray that you would meet us here in this place. Fill us up and then send us out to be your hands and your feet in this world. We love you, dear Jesus. Thank you for this day and thank you for these words. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, as you go today, I pray that you would feel refreshed, filled up, and sent forth to be God's hands and his feet in our world. We love you guys so much. Can't wait to see you guys again next week.